October 24th, 2013. This is the Hermetic Hour, and I am your host, Pope Runyon. And tonight we present another of our ongoing lecture series on the paths of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. And this time we deal with the devil and the tarot trump and other relevant symbolic aspects of the path that leads from Hod, the mercurial sphere of the intellect, up to Tipereth, the solar sphere of mystical transformation and beauty. Now, once again, our primary texts for reference will be Gareth Knight's Practical Guide to Kabbalistic Symbolism and Israel Regardi's Garden of Pomegranates. That's the first edition. So if you want a journey from the laboratory to the temple and meet the devil on the way, tune in and travel with us from darkness to light. Now, um, this is a very, very interesting and a challenging path. And you want to look, those of you who are looking at a Tree of Life design while we're doing this, and you should be, by the way, you notice over on the opposite side, over on the uh, on the pillar of mercy, the same path leading from Netzach, the sphere of nature, up to Tipereth on this angle, is attributed to the tarot card death. And here we have on the side of the pillar of severity leading from Hod up to Tipereth, we have the devil. Now, obviously, there is some intent here. And uh, the concept that unifies the death of the devil as far as the their positions on the tree of life is concerned is the concept of the veil of the sanctuary. Now, as you're looking at your design of the tree of life there, we have three curtains or veils on the tree. The first one runs right through the bottom of Yasod, separating sphere of Malkuf, physical sphere, uh, from what we refer to as the astral plane or uh, the zero dimension in Kabbalistic terminology, but we usually use the astral plane as as a description of the zero dimension. Now, this this curtain or veil runs right across the bottom of, of Yasad because Yasad, the sphere of the moon, uh, right in the center on the middle pillar, is the first of the uh, spheres above Malkuth, and it's where the astral plane begins. Now, that's the first veil. But then, above that, and on either side, we have the spheres of Hod, the mercurial sphere, sphere of the intellect, the sphere of science and rational uh, thoughts, and uh, the sphere of uh, uh, the plottings and the plannings and the, of of uh, the human uh, the human race, and then over on the other side on the on the um, 
pillar of mercy, we have Netzach, which is the sphere of nature and the sphere, the sphere of uh, natural harmony and uh, uh, creates it will fertility and the cycles of nature and the philosophy of nature. So uh, this is two balancing uh, spheres here. We might re- we might refer to Hod almost as the sphere of uh, the conscious and 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 then perhaps that side is the sphere of the unconscious. That's an oversimplification, but it it it, it gives you an idea of of what the differences here are. And now above these two spheres, Hod and Netzach is another veil, and this this is called the veil of the sanctuary, and this goes right on across below Tipereth. Now Tipereth is right in the center of the tree, and uh, it's uh, usually in the Minutum Mundum, which is the combination color scale that we we use. Uh, it's usually shown as gold or yellow color, and hot is orange and. Netzach's green. Now, the reason why we have this veil of the sanctuary running right below Tipperip, over Hod and over Netzach, right, uh, is because Tipperip is the sphere, of the, the sun is the sphere of of transformation. This is, is really a uh, a point of, of, well, you might say, lesser enlightenment. This is the beginning. Tipperif is the beginning of enlightenment. It's the sphere of sacrifice. It's the sphere of transformation. It's the sphere, if you were a Christian, you would place Jesus in Tipperif. If you were uh, a, a um, if you're using the Canaanite pantheon like we do, you place you place Baal, who is the green man, and you place Mote, his brother, who is the grim reaper. You place both of them in Tipperef. Uh, Tipperef is uh, is all of the various mythological versions of the dying and reborn God. Uh, now, I Osiris ought to go there actually if you're using the Egyptian pantheon, but the uh, Golden Dawn had some different symbolism that they used, and and so we won't. Uh, we won't try to dispute that, but uh, think of Tipperith as as the the sphere of enlightenment, the solar sphere, the sphere in which uh, you you uh, achieve mystical uh, revelation and attainment by sacrifice and uh, by and sacrifice and transformation with enlightenment. Now, therefore, we have this. Sanctuary, this veil of the sanctuary that separates. Now, two ways to get from two different sides of the tree, two angular paths over here on uh, from Hod, where we're going to explore tonight. We have we have the 26th path, and that is attributed to the letter Ayin, which is in Phoenician, by the way. The letter Ayin is a circle. And this is even more um, apropos because Ayin means the eye. And uh, then over on the other side, we have we have uh, the, the Nun. We have Nun, and this is attributed 
uh, to the death card. And as I'm sure most of you know, the death card in the tarot doesn't really signify death as such, physical death. It does signify transformation and transition. And in case you're wondering what the death card really is, um, well, I don't need to tell you that right now. But um, it, it's not the death card it, uh, over there in, on the path from that sock to um, to temporary uh, uh, The death card does not really mean death in the way in a physical death. Uh, but the devil. We can't say the devil doesn't really mean the devil because actually it does. And the devil is the card um, that that dominates the tarot card, that dominates the path, uh, the 26th path that leads from Hod, the mercurial sphere, the sphere of the great library, the sphere of the great laboratory. And it leads from there over through the veil to Tipperith where one would achieve, would achieve Enlightenment. Tithamareth is also called the sphere of beauty. And I'll mention a few things about beauty. Uh, beauty is a word, when we use it in, in Kabbalah and magic, beauty has a somewhat different meaning than, uh, than we ordinarily think. It's one of those words like romance. Uh, the popular meaning of romance is uh, associated with a couple of high school kids, uh, you know, looking at the moon out at Lover's Lane. But that's not the true, deeper meaning of romance and and, and the meaning of romantic. Uh, and And the meaning of love, the same way. We tend to think of love... Uh, in terms of country western songs, where uh, the um, the singer is always singing about about oh oh poor oh poor Betty May and I love her so much and all that. Well, that, that's not what we mean esoterically by love. And the same thing with beauty. Now we understand. I want to try to explain the esoteric meaning of beauty. Because I think it's it's important we understand this. This is our goal: is is beauty to achieve transformation and beauty. We're down there in this sphere of the intellect, odd, the sphere of the rational intellect, the uh, the sphere where we can go down to the laboratory and see if we can cook up some sort of a of a uh, of a chemical that will either do terrible things or wonderful things or whatever. But it's but it. We, we we don't have so much of a spiritual uh, mission in the Hod as we do uh, a mission of science and intellect and and uh, progress and all of these conscious things that uh, that uh, humankind seems to want to do. And I might mention here that there is a very clear there's a very clear aspect of the masculine in this Hodian process. And we might say that um, that uh, it has an almost a devilish quality to it because um, there's a masculine characteristic of creativity. And creativity doesn't necessarily have to be good. 
and it doesn't necessarily have to help anybody, and it doesn't necessarily have to make the world a better place. In fact, some of uh, some of the uh, creative efforts and design and, and and engineering and all have have um, brought us some pretty horrible things. And and you might say that for all of our comforts that the industrial revolution has given us, uh, we have. It hasn't made us any happier, and frankly, uh, the pollution of, uh, and, the, and the depletion of resources and the pollution of the planet uh, more than make up on the dark side for whatever we've gained from this. Plus, the more we, uh, the more we improve uh, quality of life, the more, the more people we breed all over the world, and we're now the human race itself are almost in the category of a pest. We we've reached we've reached proportions. If you look at this, if you look down on the planet as if you were a super intelligent life form from another world studying us, you would see the human human race almost as a pestilence. I know that but that's part of this this mercurial masculine mercurial quality that that goes beyond the rational, even though it claims to be rational, it it is rooted in the rational process. But in matter of fact, it it really isn't that moral, and it isn't that ethical, and it isn't that it isn't that, and it certainly isn't that spiritual. Now, I may sound, I know those of you who know me, you know I'm not I'm not a feminist, <laughs> and and I'm. Neither a Republican or a Democrat, and I'm neither a liberal or a conservative. Uh, in fact, I actually believe the the American Eagle should have both a right wing and a left wing. That way, it can fly in the direction it needs to go. Whereas, uh, whereas if it just had a left wing, or it just had a right wing, it would fly in circles and get nowhere. So, I'm not. I, this is not a political message that I'm giving. It's this is a this is something about human nature here that you need to know. So this is hard. Hard is this this mercurial sphere. And it's interesting that the planet Mercury, you know, the planet Mercury is a pretty good uh, planetary analogy for this because Mercury is hotter than blazes, and it doesn't rotate. So one side of Mercury is freezing cold. The other side of Mercury is blazing hot. And maybe there is a little a little twilight zone in the middle, only a few miles wide, that if you had the, well, if you can't breathe on Mercury anyway, but that might be tolerable if you could stand it, and that's it. So it's, it's extremes. There is no blending. There's no balance. There's, there's this, it's either, it's either uh, freezing cold or blazing hot. There's nothing in between. And that, that also can describe some of the processes of um, uh, of engineering and science and whatever that that, that occur or arise out of the Hodian situation. Now, that's where we start from to go up this path, this path of the devil, this through this veil of the sanctuary to reach the sphere of transformation, of sacrifice, of of beauty of uh, mystical and spiritual attainment. All right, I said I was going to talk about beauty. Now, beauty is 
number one, our appreciation of the universe, which goes beyond the beautiful starry sky at night. It goes beyond uh, the mountains and the, and the rivers and the forest and all that. All of that is all certainly beautiful. It is, it is appreciation of the, the beauty. And this, this appreciation, and the more awe-inspired we are by this, the closer we are to God. Because in hermetic philosophy, we are the eyes of God. We all have a, an identically fashioned spark of the supreme being in us. And we are the eyes, we're the hands, we're the, we're the, 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 the multi-billion fingers of, of God. And this makes us unique on this planet. Because as dearly as I loved my, my cats and my dogs, I don't really think that, that cats and dogs uh, contemplate and appreciate beauty. Uh, if they do, they're not aware that they're contemplating and appreciating it. They may be, but they're, they're not. A cat is just as happy in, 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 um, in a house that's, uh, that's painted in, uh, in awful colors and not very well decorated as he is or she is in, in a house that's, that's beautifully decorated and appointed. Uh, the, this appreciation of beauty. Now, this goes further. This goes further into great art, great sculpture, great art, great objects of art, although they are static. And you know the concept of the preform. They, 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 the the preform uh, is alive, and then when it becomes real, then when it becomes physical, then it's on its way out because then it's fixed. But but that does not apply to an art to an object of art. And the reason why that is is because it, even though it was made a thousand years ago, when you see it, you appreciate that beauty, and it lives again in that beauty. So beauty is a spiritual concept, and this is why the great master Plotinus, the, the father of Neoplatonism, he, he, he said that, that beauty was an approach to God, and it is. Okay, this... this characterizes Tiferet. And the reason why I spent a little time on beauty here is, is to give you that concept. Now, the path that we're going to take from this, this one might say, is godless scientific uh, laboratory, library, and HOD, uh, where, where the boys are doing all of their, um, uh, their evil science and uh, and they're 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 generating corn with scorpion venom, so uh, you know, the corn will fight off cut off the insects and and, and and I mean all this awful stuff they do. And and that's in hard. And we're gonna take this path, uh number twenty six, up to Tipperath, and this path is attributed to Ayin, uh the uh, the letter Ayin. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read you um, uh, Regardi's uh, section on this from uh, the Garden of Pomegranates, which is rather short, 
I would just read this so you get all the symbolism that regarding him indicates. And uh, he says, I pronounced Ayin with a slight nasal twang, which means the eye, referring to the eye of Shiva, said to be atrophied into the penal gland. Astrologically, it is Capricorn, the mountain goat, leaping forwards and upwards, boldly without fear, and yet remaining close to the hilltops. Its symbols are both the Ani and the Lingam, and its gods are emblematic of the creative forces of nature. Kem is the Egyptian creative principle, almost always shown with the head of a lustful goat. Priapus is the Greek god insofar as he was the god of sexual fecundity and fruitfulness. Pan, when represented as the goat of the flock, raving and raping, ripping and rending, everlasting is attributed here too. Marcus, the jovial representative of the reproductive and intoxicating power of nature, is another correspondence. Hemp, from which hashish is a derivative, is attributed because of its intoxicating and ecstasy-producing qualities. Ain represents the spiritual creative force of the Godhead, which, should it become openly manifest in a man, makes him Egyptian, in other words, the all. This path is symbolic of the mad god, eager and exalted, consciously aware of his true will, and ready to set out on his long and wearisome journey of redeeming the world. The tarot card is 15, the devil, showing a winged god-headed satyr with a pentagram on his brow, pointing upwards with his right hand, his left hand clutching a flaming firebrand, pointing downwards. To his throne are chained a nude male and female figure, both having the horns of a goat. The jewel appropriate to the 26th path is the black diamond, the animals, the goat, and the ass. It will be remembered that Jesus is pictured in the gospel as riding into Jerusalem astride an ass, and, if memory serves me correctly, there is a reference somewhere to Dionysus, also riding on an ass. The title is The Renovating Intelligence. The perfume is musk, and the odor is black. Well, that's the basic symbolism of the pot. Let me say uh, right now that, uh, of course, Gareth Knight, in his practical guide to capitalistic symbolism, which we've been using uh, in most in these lectures, he has a more lengthy section on this, in which he cites Olaus Levy and uh, and various others. Uh, but in this particular case, uh, I think a superior rendition of the symbolism of this path is to be found in a book by my friend John Michael Greer called Paths of Wisdom. Now, this book came out in 1996, so it postdates, uh, as will be, Garrett Knight's work by some, um, well, 30 years or 40 years or so. Very, very nice book, and, and I, I, I heartily recommend it. It's called Paths of Wisdom, and it has... 
uh, descriptions of the spheres and the paths as sort of like a combination of Dion Fortune's mystical Kabbalah and, and Regardi's Garden of Pomegranates, except his descriptions of the paths and the spheres are much more extensive. They're about the same uh, length and treatment as Basil will be, but I think in this case, at least, uh, in this path, I think John Michael Greer's exposition is superior. Now, let's talk about how we do it uh, and give you some uh, insights into this. In the first place, uh, as those of you who have been following our expositions, you know that above the three lower spheres, that's hard, Yes, and that's how. And the three paths that lead to them directly from Malkuth. Above that, we use a device called Kusar's boat. And this is a magical device. It's a boat about uh, about a foot long, and and it has wings folded along the sides, has an ibis uh, beak. It's black on, on one side, on the side of the black pillar, and it's white on the other side, on the side of the white pillar. And it has, um, uh, it down, divide, divide it down the middle, it has a compass, it has a cockpit, it has a rudder, it has, uh, you know, it has uh, two um, candles uh, on the thwarts on either side. We have little candle holders. So we can put the candles uh, attributed to the color of the sphere uh, on the boat, and we'll put the boat in the center of the altar, and then we all uh, go into trance sitting around the altar, and we have our spirit bodies, our little spirit bodies, up on top of the altar, and we and we get on get on the boat, and the boat spreads its wings, and it flies through the soul door, and we're off. Now the advantage of this, of course, is it enables us to fly over the paths of on the tree of life that we've already done. And this, uh, so this, this is uh, this 26th path from uh, Hod up to Tipperet is a boat working. So how will we do this? Well, we'll in the Temple of Malkuth, we'll set the boat up, and uh, we'll, um, in this case, uh, we're going to Tipperet, so it would be a good idea to use yellow candles on the boat, and we'll all. Um, We'll all get in the boat, and we'll go through the soul door or through the mirror. If you and if you don't have a soul door, you can always hang a hang a big dark mirror, you know, and use that as your portal. And and we go through, and we'll fly. I think the best route for this one, you could go up right straight up the thirty second path, and then fly over your sword, and then do the thirtieth path. Again, if you want to look down and review all that, uh, and then land at the library uh, of Hod, uh, below the Mason Hall Library, you could do that if you want to just look down on, you know, uh, areas that you've already covered. But I think it's more direct, more, and especially seeing as how this is on the side of the, the, you know, the sphere of severity, or the pillar of severity, the best thing to do is to get on the boat in Malkuth and just fly over the path of sheen, the path of judgment, look down on all of that, fly over that, land at the library below the mesa, and get off the boat, and then hike hike the path on up 
to Tipperith, the path, uh, the 26th path attributed to to the devil, and uh, then get on through to Tipperith. That's the way we're going to do it. So we get off, we leave the boat at the uh, at the base, at the base of the base. We get off the boat, and and then we start hiking up uh, on this path. Now, this path. Uh, I want to mention to you, this path is considered to be uh, very stressful and uh, somewhat somewhat uh, scary. Uh, and uh, this eye symbolism. Now, in our particular version of this path working, we have uh, a stark, a stark broken landscape and and there's nowhere to hide, really, as you go across. This, is, this landscape is almost like uh, one of uh, Salvador Dali's endless perspectives, and there is no place for you to hide. And over all of this, looking down at you is this gigantic eye. And this eye, you know this eye sees all. You know the eye sees all. And it sees, and you you are you, you you suspect that it's the eye of God, but you're not really sure whether it's the eye of God or whether it's the eye of the devil. You don't know, but you're it's not it, it is not a, a a friendly vision, and you know you must proceed through this broken landscape with very few hiding places. Is there's no way to escape, but you have to proceed with this gigantic eye looking down on you. And there are birds circling, and there are other beings, other human beings trying to cross this landscape. And every so often, the birds swoop down and grab them and take them thrashing into the air. And you know that, that at any time, because the eye has you in sight, and if the eye is, in fact, directing these birds, and these birds are plucking human beings off the plane and carrying them away, and this is this is how you have to proceed through through this sort of a, uh, an intimidating environment. Now, let me digress here a little bit about the devil and the symbolism of the devil in this sense. Now, the devil card, the tarot card, and this is. The one I'm referring to, the one we use is, for this, is is the Pixie Smith Arthur White um, Rider Pack. And the symbolism here is multifold and very significant because chained to the bottom of the pedestal is a rather attractive man, nude, and, and beside him a woman, nude. Both of them have horns. And, and tails, and they're chained to rocks. Now, I, various interpretations of this, um, uh, you know, Basil Wilby, uh, Bureth Knight seems to think that they're wearing, that they're really human beings that are, that are dressed up like uh, wearing caps uh, with uh, horns on them and all that. Regardy sees them as actual uh, demonic beings, um, and uh, uh, John Michael Greer uh, sees them as as supernatural beings. 
I see them as the fallen angels. And what we're seeing here is a, a lower version of the mountain of darkness in the Zohar. Now, what they did in the Zohar, uh, which, as you may know, was was written down in the Middle Ages in the 1200, uh, in the 12th century, 1360, something like that. And by this time, what a Jewish legend had done with, with the fallen angels, as you know, they, they really didn't, uh, the Book of Enoch was, well, they had a Hebrew version of it, but but uh, the Book of Enoch was not that that canonized either in the Jewish tradition or in the Christian tradition. But what they did was they took all of these fallen angels and that whole crew of Semyaza and his fallen angels from the Book of Enoch, and they condensed them down to Azza and Azazel, a male and a female representing all of those imprisoned fallen angels. And they chained them in the mountain of darkness. And King Solomon was rumored to fly to the mountain of darkness on the back of Shumal, the mother of eagles. And we have Shumal, of course, is a Canaanite. Uh, that's, that's for Canaanite mythology. And he would go and, and get his arcane arts, his magical uh, uh, knowledge from Asa and Azazel chained in the mountain of darkness, the fallen angels. That, that is what you're seeing, a, a lower down version. This would actually, the, this, this scene of Asa and Azazel chained in the, in, the, in, the, in the mountain of darkness should be up and off. It ought to be up, up, and up in Saturn. But you're seeing it here, but then you're seeing on top of this, you're seeing this representation of the devil, this huge representation of the devil. Now, now, uh, Eric Knight says, oh, well, the devil's an illusion. Well, maybe, but at this point, down here on this level, down here on this level, the devil is actually, is actually the lord of these fallen angels. And quite frankly, as uh, at a higher level in all of this symbolism, uh, we have to realize that we, we are the fallen angels. Azza and Azazel represent us. And these two, these two figures here in this chain to this, to this uh, pedestal here under the devil, this great big devil that, that, rules them, and these two figures are both represent fallen angels and they also represent us. Now that that should give you an idea of of what the symbolism of the path is because here we are the fallen angels, by the way, they fell the reason why the fallen angels fell is that they wanted to enjoy the physical this whole idea that that heaven is some beautiful place uh, where everything everybody is happy and 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 wonderful and and you wouldn't want to leave there and all that that's not true. It can't be true because otherwise, why would why would we why would we be here enjoying life? Those of us that do, 
and there's a lot of us who do, uh, this whole concept of of heaven being uh, a spiritual realm being uh, infinitely preferred to life on earth. This is for people for, for people who don't enjoy life. And there's a lot of people who don't. But the truth of the matter is that that life, physical life, is desirable. And these angels in heaven, these fallen angels, they wanted physical life. They wanted to mate with the daughters of men and all that. Of course, that's 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 a, an allegory, actually. That's not, you know, you can't have uh, angels mating with people, but but you certainly can have angels angels entering human form and enjoying it. Now, if you think that sounds sort of heretical, well, think about this. Malkuth is considered the kingdom. Yes, Malkuth is the most Next to Kether, Kether on top, and Malkuth on the bottom. Malkuth is the most important sphere in all Kabbalah. Here, in the physical world, this is where it's done. This is where we do it. This is the plane of demonstration. This is where it gets done. And then when you're dead, you can you can hang around and think about what you didn't do and, and, and you know, and think about what you might want to do better next time and, and all of that. But if you want but when I guess it comes to doing something, really doing something, you're going to come back again and do it. And you say, oh, well, that's not what we would have to have. We're going to heaven and we're going to, well, yeah, sure, you go to heaven for a while. All right, I don't mind that. But but here's where it gets done, here or on some other planet or some other physical plane or whatever. Yeah. So the idea of these, these fallen angels, they're imprisoned in matter. Now, this means that we are, on the one hand, evolving toward the spiritual and aspiring toward the spiritual. On the other hand, we are bound and and we are, uh, in a sense, devolving into the physical. And the trick is to walk this razor's edge between the two. To walk the razor's edge between the two to where you aspire for the spiritual, you love the spiritual, you... You, but, but at the same time, you master and enjoy and prosper in the physical. And that is a very, very hard balance to achieve. Because human beings being what they are, they seem to want to, they seem to, want to go to either one side or the other. And this is, I may say, one of the reasons why we have this this checkerboard pattern on on the floor of Masonic Lodges is black and it, the black and white and black and white squares, you know. The trick in this game is to end up standing on a white square. But it's still the black squares are just as important. And as we said uh, one time, I think uh, Master Roland Duquette said from the top of Mount Shasta, he said, uh, you know, beyond the light you may discover darkness, or beyond the darkness, you may find the light. You can't have one without the other. The choice must always be yours. This is the razor's edge the magician walks. And because, on the one hand, he craves and desires and is inspired by the spiritual, and yet he enjoys and he is challenged by and he is he realizes the importance of his life in the physical and so this is the challenge of this path. And when you finally manage to 
get through this ground, this 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 horrible wasteland where uh, under the great eye, uh, and there would be the, the way. You, obviously, the way you get through it is is by your skill and your sagacity in avoiding the birds that are going to steal your soul if you are involved in either one extreme or the other. You have to find that middle way. And that's the the real the real secret of this particular path. Now um I'd like to as I say, I'd like to read um here in in um, um John Michael Greer's book Let's get the um, all of the data on the, 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 the path here that he has laid out. He has laid out like same ways that Neon Fortune did with the mystical component. Letter of the path is Ayin, the eye. Name of God is Adonai. Astrological correspondence, Capricorn, the fish goat. And the trump is 15, the devil. Esoteric title, Lord of the Gates of Matter, Child of the Forces of Time. The path text, the 26th path, is called the Renovating Intelligence because the Holy God renews it all uh, and the changing things which are renewed by the creation of the world. The mythological principle, meeting with the powers of life. The experiences of the path, wild and desolate landscapes, storms and other expressions of forces of nature, subversions of human consciousness and the animal self. Entities on the path, wild animals, feral humans, half-human creatures, satyrs and other wilderness spirits, like our birds. Magical image, an arch of deep indigo color bearing the letter Ayin in brilliant white on his keystone. The door of the arch bears the image of the tarot trip. Colors, absolute indigo in Bria, black in Yazira, blue-black in Ashia, cold, dark gray during black. Now, let me talk a little bit about Capricorn and Saturn. Okay, now this is also very much part of this path, although it, 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 it is a presage of something a great deal higher. Capricorn, the fish code, is what is referred to in the Initiatic Code as the gate of the gods. Now, in the Initiatic, ancient Initiatic Code, souls came down the Milky Way through cancer, and then they, when they died, they, the souls went back up through Capricorn, the gate of the gods. And uh, the gate of the gods is, uh, is, is, of course, Capricorn is a, is a tribute to Saturn. And, and uh, here again, Saturn is, uh, well, at least the way we have uh, conceived it, he is the furthest planet out. Well, we, that's where you're Kabbalah. The furthest planet out that the Kabbalists were aware of. It, it therefore became the center point of the cube of space and the beginning of the physical universe. Now, if you're attributing Capricorn to Saturn, it means the gate of the gods should be also related to the sphere of Da'ath, if Saturn is in fact the sphere of Da'ath, which we say it is. And, and therefore, 
Capricorn and 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 Saturn represent this this transition into uh, the higher realms. That, of course, uh, is replicated uh, in the idea of, uh, of 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 death, which is the other path, of course, on the other side. But still, it's uh, it's here again attributed, in a sense, to the devil, and and uh, and another one of these transitions one of these very, very ancient and advanced transitional images. Now, we make it finally to Tipperath. We finally get to Tipperath. And Tipperath, as we said, was the sphere of the solar sphere, the sphere of beauty, the sphere of transformation, the sphere of enlightenment. And in, in our particular system, we, we equate Tipperath with a huge pyramid and we have this huge pyramid, and on top of the pyramid is a is a great crystal. And inside the pyramid, in a great chamber inside the pyramid, we have we have the god Baal on his throne, and then we have beside him we have we have his brother Mot, the god of the Grim Reaper, god of death. And down from the crystal shines the solar ray and fills Baal's rail cup with with all the colors of the rainbow, and you can dance around Baal and eat and share his cup and fills you with life until you're finally exhausted, and that moat conducts you out, and you climb the tower, you climb the pyramid, and when you get to the top of the pyramid. We have we have a, a sacrifice experience and and a transitional experience. I'm not going to go into that because that's that's uh, really for another time. But but uh, this this imagery of Tipperath is this transformation and uh, this sacrifice and uh, the the advancement of the soul into the next stage. But in order to get to that Tipperath sphere, you have three paths. You can go right straight up the middle. That's the path of temperance, and that's a dark night of the soul, through storms, or whatever. You can take the path of death over from Netsok, or you can take the path of the devil from Hod, which we have described this evening. Now, um, next week, we're going to do our show on Friday, because Thursday night is Halloween, and we are going to go to a certain nightclub in uh, in Orange County and uh, listen to uh, Maestro Juan Duquette uh, play his latest folk songs, and we're going to uh, bring along enough to buy some of his new albums, and we're going to, that's how we're going to spend Halloween night. But then Friday night, of course, we'll have, well, this week, this weekend, we'll have our Halloween party, and and we're going to have our Halloween party. The dark mother of all Halloween parties will be will be on the twenty sixth, and one of the high points of the the party will be uh, the recording uh, of our of a radio play that we have extrapolated from the Seventh Ray's Sherlock Holmes and uh, the Secret of the Necronomicon, which we. Uh, 
on the curse of the Necronomicon, which we've shortened into Sherlock Holmes and the Necronomicon. It's about a 10-minute radio play, which we're going to have our various members do, impromptu. We'll give them the script. And we will record that at the Halloween party. And hopefully, if we're successful, uh, we'll have this uh, this little radio drama, which we can play for you on, uh, on next Friday night. That uh, that will be coming up and ought to be a lot of fun. So uh, until next Friday night, uh, this is your your, your uh, host of the Hermetic Hour, Pope Runyon, Frater Thavion, signing off, and uh, good magic.